When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. So Matthew Collar of 1500 ESPN, of ESPN Insider, of the Buffalo Star. You work for a variety of, uh, of media companies these days. Um, what's going on? It's been a while. You were a regular guest on Off the Post last season. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, having me back. Yeah, I decided... Uh, just to uh, keep my toe in the water with my Buffalo roots and write about the Sabres every once in a while. So my uh, my friend Dave Davis is running that website, the Buffalo Star, if anyone wants to check that out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been waiting for the season to come along here. I've been steeped in uh, football and offensive line analysis and things like that. I have to clear uh, clean out my palate a little bit and breathe in the fresh hockey air. I love it. And – your job in general blends the two sports. You have you cover the Vikings, but you also cover the Wild. You're based out of Minnesota. And then for ESPN Insider, you're more of a general columnist uh, writing about the NHL. But let's So we want to talk about the Western Conference today. It's part one of a two-part uh, preview series. Travis Yost is going to be my guest for the Eastern Conference. So with the West, we'll get into that and we'll pick through you know who's good, who's okay, who's bad that sort of thing, and try to come out the other side with our, our playoff guesses. Um, but first, uh, I want to hear your take on the anthem protests, especially because you also cover the NFL. Um, the Penguins made some news by no, by go, or sorry by going or, or accepting uh, the White House visit, whereas in the NBA, the Golden State Warriors denied it. Um, I think anyone listening to this understands the weight of the situation with Donald Trump with all uh, the racial issues in the States, um, with just, I mean, I could go on and on about it, but I'm curious about your take on the Penguins deciding to, I guess, go against the grain since uh, the majority of the sports world is standing up for for, for rights and, and, you know, a lot of guys are kneeling during national anthems. Like, the Penguins did a very hockey thing by following tradition and not going towards uh, something uh, in, in the way of change. Yeah, you know, I think it's really hard to get overly upset with the Penguins deciding to go to the White House, but to announce it on the same day that the NFL teams were clapping back at Donald Trump for his comments calling players who kneel SOBs, I, I think it sent a pretty clear message. I, I saw some other people call it tone deaf. Oh, I didn't think it was tone deaf. I think they sent the exact tone out to all of their hockey fans that they wanted to set and sent a pretty clear message of where they stand. And, you know, I, I think uh, with hockey, it's a sport that has been desperate for more inclusiveness. It's been desperate for uh, having more types of different players uh, play and, and have interest from, from younger kids and younger generations 
from all races, backgrounds, and I think it's done a very poor job over that uh, over the years at that. And maybe that's one of the reasons that in America it's a distant, distant fourth in popularity. I think that could probably play into it. And you wonder even the long-term direction of hockey in America and its popularity. Uh, and so when you have a team who clearly says by their message that not only uh, they're going, but seemingly they support what Donald Trump said about the NFL players, I mean, that's just, that is just not a very good look if you think you're going to argue your sport is about inclusiveness. And, the, I mean, the other thing is, too, as a league, you have the President of the United States pretty much telling business owners what to do, which is, I think, what really infuriated the NFL owners. I don't think the NFL owners really wanted to kneel down for social injustice here in America. I think that they got really upset that the president was telling them what to do and calling for a boycott. So as the NHL owners, I, I think you wouldn't want to support someone telling you what to do either. And so there, there are many different reasons for this, but it certainly looks like sticking your nose up in the air to uh, A, social injustice, and B, um, it, it makes it look like you support uh, a president who is one of the most unpopular in the history of the country. So... Uh, yeah, not a good choice, I, I think, from the Penguins, and especially the NHL has just had so many problems. I mean, I think of P.K. Subban and how he's been treated over his career, even going back to Mike Milbury last year, calling him a clown for dancing before the game on his skates. I mean, this is it's just a sport that's had this issue for a very long time, and that didn't move them in the right direction in any way, the timing of that Penguins announcement. Well, and it was a two-foot putt for the Penguins. It was, there was The trap door was that they had been to the White House the year before. So, you know, that whole tradition or that whole once-in-a-lifetime chance, that sort of card that they're pulling, I mean, it's not. They did it the year before. They won two years in a row. This is a perfect time to stand up for something and not really miss out on anything. I mean, they could have even just sort of done it as a PR stunt, so to speak, as much as that's not you know, very genuine, at least it would, uh, it would send the right message, I guess you could say. But here, um, they're just sort of going with the, the typical, I guess, uh, hockey angle of, you know, we're a team, we won a championship, this is just what you do. And we're not going to go, um, we're not going to go and do something that's against normal hockey culture. So I thought it was odd that, you know, they had this perfect chance, as, as you sort of alluded to off the top, they had this perfect chance to join the party. Uh, to join, you know, very influential athletes like Le LeBron James, Steph Curry. There's countless NFL players that have chimed in, but they decided to kind of turn a blind eye to the situation. And let's face it, a lot of it probably has to do with that they're rich white men. They've probably not faced uh, the problems that uh, that people are fighting for. So that's a story for, or that's a discussion for another day. But in general, they just they had the door was open and they decided to walk into another one. Yeah, I do think that uh, it would have been accepted much more, or I, I guess much more defensible, if they just followed the status quo and just went to the White House like the New England Patriots did uh, last year after they won the Super Bowl. I, I think it would have been seen as much more okay if they hadn't sent out the announcement exactly when they did, right? I mean, if, if they had just gone and they had just said, well, you know, it's the White House, so we're just going because we were invited and we're trying to stay out of the political thing or whatever, I think it would have been more acceptable. I mean, maybe not perfect or maybe not how I would have done it 
because I, I think, like you're saying, um, getting on board with uh, trying to, to, to stand together, I guess, in some ways, or at least send a message that you want to be more inclusive is, is the side that I would always lean toward as being more inclusive for that sport uh, and any sport. But when you're sending it out the same day, you're just sending a pretty clear message. And, you know, with hockey in America, I mean, I, I don't know as much because I'm not from Canada how it works across the entire country, but it's a rich white sport in America. And there's no question that that it's a certain demographic and probably a lot of that demographic voted for Donald Trump. And I think it's probably in a way pandering to that audience and not wanting to upset that audience by not going to the white house or making that sort of statement. But in a way they made a statement anyway, that you are, uh, that they're not going to do anything to go out of their way. Gary Bettman has said this before himself to stand up for anything. And uh, that, that, to me, is just not a very successful model for your league if you want uh, to have people from all backgrounds playing it and participating and getting involved. And so here, here we stand. Hockey's number four for a reason. You and I love it, uh, but I can totally relate to anyone who says that the National Hockey League turns them off for a number of reasons, and you could just put this drop in the bucket. Yeah, Um like I said, we could go on for days about this, but let's get going on on the Western Conference. And I want to start with the bottom feeders, teams that I don't want to spend too much time on because uh, this is more about, you know, finding out who are the real strong contenders in this conference. But uh, there's a few at the bottom that we need to touch on briefly. So Colorado, Vegas, Vancouver um, with the Avs. Last year was such a disaster that, you know, there's only one way to go and it's up. Um, it's a matter of how high can they go. Um, you know, they got 48 points last year. I don't know what other words to describe it other than abysmal or toxic or awful. I mean, the, there's just so many, uh, so much negativity that, that that's kind of trickling into this year. But, but hopefully um, if they can get off to a good start, um, things turn around at least slightly. Um, and the offseason wasn't super eventful. Uh, Colin Wilson, Jonathan Bernier, Neil Yakupov are their additions. None of those guys are going to make a massive difference. And they lost Calvin Picard in, in the expansion draft and a couple other guys uh, through free agency like Mikel Gregorenko, Rene Bork, guys like that. But um, it's come to a point where there's players worth keeping with Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Tyson Jost, Kale McCarr. You know, you could even make the, the case for Gabriel Landeskog, but they've got to somehow kind of right the ship. And, and, and I, I don't want to talk about culture too much. I don't like talking about culture too much, but there's a, there seems to be a serious problem there. So Matt Duchesne and that saga keeps dragging on. I think once that ends, hopefully soon for, for Avalanche fan, fans, they'll be able to turn the page at least towards getting closer to mediocrity as opposed to uh, awfulness. Uh, what do you think of the Avs? I think it's kind of crazy that the Avalanche, a couple of years ago, you could have made an argument that they were going to be a cup contender for years and years to come with the great young core that they had built. I mean, you, you could have looked at other teams, the Penguins, the Blackhawks, and said, that's going to be us because we've got all these great young players. And the fact that they could end up with 48 points last year is, is really astonishing. And when I look at this roster now, and I think if you maximize the talents of your top players and they have great years, 
you could be much better, than, I mean, by leaps and bounds than you were last year, but it just doesn't ever seem to happen with this team that they have uh, all the cylinders or all the good players running well at the same time. And it's one of those things when you bring up culture, I always hurt myself rolling my eyes so hard because just it's culture, culture, culture. It's almost always just talent for who wins and who loses. But in this case, Something has been wrong with Matt Duchesne and the Colorado Avalanche and the culture for a very long time. I mean, this is this is five years ago or so, somewhere around five years ago. A someone told me in the Buffalo Sabres organization that they were considering trading for Duchesne, and that one player who had experience with him said, "You don't want to make that trade," and the Sabres ended up deciding not to make that deal. And so I wonder about how many of those conversations have gone on because, I mean, his numbers are very good, and he looks like he should be a top center. He's extremely fast. He's very skilled and, and so on and so forth. And yet with this team, something just doesn't seem to be clicking with them, and you wonder if it does start with the top. And like, like you said, they didn't make a whole lot of uh, moves in the offseason. They didn't give out any dumb contracts like they did to Carl Soderberg a couple years ago. And they do have nice pieces coming up. I mean, I like Rantanen. Uh, I'm interested to see what J.T. Comper becomes. He was really good at Michigan. And, and even their defensemen, I mean, Tyson Berry's only 26 years old. Nikita Zadorov's 22. They have guys who are in their early 20s who should have the foundation of a really good team. It's just can you all start pulling in the same direction at some point? And that I don't really know. Yeah, it's them, Vancouver, and Vegas who – I think Vancouver is probably better than both of those those teams, um, but 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 Vegas and Colorado. Which team do you think will finish with more points? I I tend to think that it should be Colorado if they get some production out of uh, those players that um, are on the younger side that might be just starting to come up and, and make a serious impact. But I don't even know who's playing defense for Colorado. Even after looking at their roster, I mean, after um, Tyson Berry and Eric Johnson, I mean, you just, it's like, who is going to play uh, on the blue line for this team? And it's been an issue. The puck possession, they, they can never seem to break out of their own zone and yeah. and things like that. That goes back to Patrick Waugh. So, uh, I mean, I, I feel like Colorado should have more points than Vegas. Because Vegas should, even though they got some halfway decent players in the expansion draft, still should be toward the bottom of the league. Uh, but, you know, if if this Duchesne drama continues to kind of hold over them, and then if uh, Simeon Varlamov isn't very good, um, I feel like you could end up seeing Colorado being, being the worst team. But right now, I would still probably write in Vegas. Yeah, and with Vegas, you talk about not having enough defense in Colorado. Vegas has 11 NHL defensemen right now. Uh, I'm not sure what their their long-term plan is. Obviously, some guys will end up being shipped out by the start of the season, early goings of the season. But we, me and you spoke after the expansion draft, literally like an hour after it had finished. And I remember talking and, you know, we're going through the guys. We're going, this guy's okay. This team's, you know very random but you know to be expected with an expansion draft and then i made some comment that well this is you know this we should all take this with a grain of salt what we see right now because they're going to make some big changes throughout the offseason especially you know via trade and and maybe a, a signing here and there and now i'm looking at the roster it's uh it's almost october almost time to play important games 
and the roster looks fairly similar. Uh, they didn't they didn't really do much to be honest since the expansion draft and probably by design. I'm sure they're not looking at this team and going, "Ooh, we're gonna we're gonna challenge for a playoff spot." I think Vegas is 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 gonna have a, a few entertaining players, but that's about it. They're they're not gonna win many games. They'll be semi competitive, um, but they're clearly uh, looking towards the future, hoping to be a lottery pick. Um, that's, that's what I'm seeing when I'm looking at the roster, uh, going from, you know, James Neal, Riley Smith, Vadim Shipachev as, as your real horses up front. Uh, and then the back ends, a bunch of, you know, number three, number four guys, literally they have like five or six of those guys. Um, Shea Theodore is obviously a guy who has a, a higher ceiling and Marc-Andre Fleury will obviously, uh, you know, probably win them a couple games on his own, but Overall, Vegas uh, didn't didn't move the needle since the expansion draft. No, not really. And uh, I do think that they're very well set up for the future um, when, when it comes to just the players that they could trade at the trade deadline. I mean, someone will pay out top dollar to have James Neal at the trade deadline. Um, and I'm going to assume, even though he has a no-move, no-trade clause, that he'll accept uh, a chance to go to play for a Stanley Cup uh, contender. So, I mean, if you can get a first-round pick or a second-round pick for James Neal. You've also got David Perron, who somebody always seems to give money to uh, so or, or always seems to want to trade for. So, uh, you know, you've got guys out there that you can move. Uh, you mentioned all their defensemen. Uh, let's see, I'm, I'm counting up now. Five of them are UFAs after this year that could be moved out at any time at the trade deadline. So you can open up a lot of roster flexibility there. And then they just have draft picks just out the wazoo in the first and second round over the next three seasons. I think George McPhee did it pretty much right here with how you want to is make it competitive enough off the bat. So you're not just getting your doors blown out like teams of the past. What the Sharks, what do they have, like four points or something their first year? I mean, it was just something around there. Yeah. Yeah, it was just some complete embarrassment. I think the you know the Blue Jackets had the same thing happen. This won't be like that because they picked up a number of players that can play a decent role for a while for them. Riley Smith, Eric Howla, I mean those are good. Those are solid role players who are uh, in their prime. So uh, I think they've got a nice foundation. But I would be really surprised, especially like you mentioned with the blue line they're running out there, if they have any chance to be a contender at all. And, hey, if they end up in the lottery and get a top pick, well, that's a great place to start when you're literally building from scratch. Yeah, and then uh, not to spend too much time on Vancouver, but they they have one year left of the Sedins, assuming that they don't re-sign, but they're both on the books for $7 million this season, and then their UFA is moving forward. So this is really the last year, presumably, that they're going to uh, be in this this sort of this this middle phase of, of – of having the Sedins on their way out and this new core on their way in of, of Bo Horvat, um, of Chris Tanev, of Troy Stetcher, Brock Besser, that, that sort of new generation coming through. So they sort of get a free pass for another year. And I think next year we start looking at them and going, okay, when, when are you going to start improving? Because you really can't make giant steps when uh, $14 million is tied up with the two Sedins and Louis Erickson, who's under contract through 2021-22, uh, he's eating up $6 million himself. So, you know, when, when you're at the top of your uh, salary cap uh, rankings is is eaten up by those three guys who who are past their prime, it's 
it's a recipe for you know a lottery pick or or close to it. At best, you're a fringe uh, playoff team. At very best, what I don't really understand from this team is signing Sam Gagne and uh, Michael Delzato. Those are both good contracts, like in a bubble, but they're going to help Vancouver be just good enough to not be the worst team in the league, just good enough to miss the playoffs by five points or something like that, right? I mean, if Gagne helps you out on the power play and Delzato is pretty good at offensive defensemen, then you're, you're still not going to compete, I don't think, for a playoff spot unless uh, Daniel and Henrik find the fountain of youth. But their production has about been cut in half from when they were at their best. I never understood the Louis Erickson signing either. I mean, was he supposed to go there and just save the franchise? I mean, signing him through 2022? I mean, it just it didn't make a whole lot of sense when he's already in his 30s and he was coming off a year where you could easily see regression coming. Yeah. Uh, I did like the move to sign Thomas Vanek because you know that's a trade deadline trade waiting to happen, and then Vanek can go somewhere and disappoint someone down the stretch. <laughs> um, but... But, I mean, with this team, I don't know if they have the goaltending with Markstrom and Nielsen to uh, to really carry them anywhere. They they have some nice pieces to build off of, but they're also kind of bogged down with some contracts. You have Brandon Sutter under contract for a very long time. I don't think he's a good player. Uh, so I think they've got a ton of work to do long-term to be a, a real contender, and the best thing to do would have been to be in that lottery and hope you get the number one overall pick. All right, let's move on to some more promising teams, teams with prospects of making the playoffs this year uh, in the Central. So the Central has seven teams. We've already talked about Colorado. I think that five teams are going to make the playoffs from the Central. Um, and I think I think Chicago is the sixth team. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs, but I think when you start breaking it down and slotting teams in, they might be the team that misses out. And it's... It's a shame because they've been a dynasty and, I mean, the last two years they've lost in the first round. So, you know, you kind of see the writing on the wall and, and Taves isn't the player he used to be. And him and Patrick Kane are eating up to so much of the salary cap that they're losing guys left, right, and center. But at the same time, uh, you know, does the Brandon Sads, does the Brandon Sad for Artemi Panarin deal work out strongly in their favor? I don't know. Um, they have Alex DeBrinkett coming through, who could easily slide in as a, a winger on a top two line and, and probably produce 50, 60 points. We'll see what happens there. Ryan Hartman is another guy who's a great complementary piece. So, I mean, the team isn't really that scary anymore, and it's sort of weighed down by Kane, Taves, Keith, Seabrook, that them taking up so much, pretty much half of the cap um, when they're they're getting in their late 20s, early 30s. So the window is most certainly closing in that regard, but you know, and then you look back, you know, Crawford's been so, so consistent, so solid for so long. Is, is this the year that he falls off or does he continue because he's only 32? He's not an old man. Um, so I, they're a team that I'm sort of on the fence on, but when I look at the central, they're a team that I'm squeezing out of the playoffs uh, in this, in this five teams from the central three teams from the Pacific layout that I've decided on. Yeah, I I still have them as a playoff contender. I I wrote an ESPN piece last week about teams that were in danger of falling out of the playoffs, and I didn't include the Blackhawks. And you make a pretty compelling case that maybe I should have 
but I feel like the, the star power is just still so good on this team that they can continue to carry them to, to being competitive. Not competitive for the Stanley Cup anymore because the roster just isn't deep enough, but would you really be surprised if Patrick Sharp shows up and scores, you know, I don't know, 25 goals or something for them after having such a bad season last year? Or if one of these guys you mentioned, uh, Debrinkat, if he could come in and, 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 you know, be really good right away, as we've seen from other rookies that have done in such a good situation, and they do have the goaltending, I, I think they'll just get carried by basically their top two lines as they have over the past few years in, in solid goaltending and still make their way in. I mean, as long as Jonathan Taves does not hit some massive wall, um, you know, his production isn't quite what it was when they were at their best in winning Stanley Cups, but, you know, 58 points last year, and he's still a dominant a defensive player. Patrick Kane is still going to be among the Hart Trophy caliber players with in, in league leaders in points. So it, I, I tend to put them in there. And that, if you put them in there, it makes the central look pretty tough, right? I mean, oh, yeah. you, you got to pick some, somebody is going to be the odd man out. And I actually put Minnesota as a team that could be kind of in the crosshairs for being the odd man out. Interesting. The hometown team. Uh, just to stick with Chicago for a second, they traded Jalmerson for Murphy. So another trade, another, I would say it got them or it made them worse, at least in the in the short term. Uh, they said goodbye to Trevor Van Riemsdyk during expansion. Uh, Brian Campbell retired. Scott Darling's gone. Gone. Uh, Marion Hossa's. He's 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 an, he's hurt. He's on the LTIR for for who knows how long, and probably he's probably going to retire. Marcus Kruger's gone. Like they've lost so many bodies, and and you know the guys that they've brought in are fine, but I don't know. I, I just every year you go, okay, is this is this when the wheels fall off with Chicago? Um, and I think, you know, they can't, they kind of prove us wrong every year, but then losing the first round uh, of the playoffs. I just, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs, but I'm higher on uh, Minnesota as an example uh, in the Central. Yeah, the, the reason that I put Minnesota on my list of teams that could fall off is, I mean, one, the competition in the Central is so tough. And historically, Chicago has kind of had uh, Minnesota's number there. Uh, but I expect much better from both Winnipeg and Dallas. Uh, I, I think of both of those teams, especially with Radulov signing in Dallas, that, that they should be very strong. And the thing with the Wild is they had so many guys last year that set career highs in points, in shooting percentage, on-ice shooting percentage, PDO, all those statistics that you kind of look at when you're figuring out which direction a team is going to go. And then they relied on really, really good goaltending from Devin Dubnik. And, and Dubnik has proven himself since coming to Minnesota that it wasn't just a flash in the pan, that he's a, a pretty reliable goaltender. But he was really excellent for a large portion of last season. So I, I look at this, the older players. Will they continue to play as well as they did last year? Miko Koivu with one of his best seasons in a really long time, but he's 34 years old now. Eric Stahl had this complete reinvention, but how long does that last? Because he's 32, and he's not the fastest guy out there. And, uh, you know, they also lose uh, Marco Scandella on defense, which gave them a lot of flexibility. So now if they have any injuries on defense, 
they're not looking at being able to just slide in another really good player. Now they're kind of walking the edge. Uh, maybe one of the determining factors is how well the two guys from Buffalo performed that they got back for Scandella because in Buffalo, Tyler Ennis really had trouble getting back to the old Tyler Ennis he was before concussions, and Marcus Foligno kind of disappointed people that he wasn't consistently enough a, a physical player and scorer. Uh, do they add something else to this team or not? I mean, I think the expectation in Minnesota is that they are a contender again not just for the playoffs, but maybe even the Stanley Cup, as they went into the playoffs last year as with one of the best coaches in the league. But you could see a scenario where Dubnik isn't as good and some of the uh, older players drop off, and there's just no room for error whatsoever in the Central. Yeah, I really like their top six up front, their top four on the back end, and Dubnik's done nothing to convince me that he uh, is going to regress at least this season. We'll see in a, in a couple of years. But I do, I do, I do see an argument for for Minnesota falling off a little. Uh, they obviously lack that game breaker. Um, that was that was the storyline last year, and it's going to be one this year. Uh, Granlin showed flashes of it. Um, you have Coyle that maybe would be a guy that you send out there. You know, last minute of play when the empty uh, when the net is empty. But they're sort of like an advanced version of the Carolina Hurricanes where they have like um, quality players, good up and down the lineup. But do they have those those really those superstar talent guys, elite level guys that can that can take a team on on their back and, and you know, I don't know, like a Tarasenko or an Ovechkin or a Crosby or whoever who are going to score those those clutch goals. Um, so there's that as a concern. Um, but I, when I was looking through all the different teams, I liked them so much last year that I found it hard to to knock them down a peg. I think sort of the the natural progression of guys like Coyle, Zucker, Niederreiter, Brodine, Dumba, those guys will sort of uh, even out maybe the uh, the fallback or the setbacks of of Koivu, who, like you said, probably overperformed for his age last year, or Stahl, who seemed to reinvent himself. Will that continue? So I'm. I still think Minnesota is going to squeak in. Do I think they're going to win the Central? No, but um, I like them and I like Boost Brujo as well. So um, I mean, that guy just that guy just gets into the playoffs every year. So I have a lot of faith in in the Wild. And they do have a they do have a deep roster uh, up front. They do have a very good uh, group of forwards. The addition of Matt Cullen should help on the fourth line. Uh, Joel Eriksson-Eck is an exciting prospect that they've. Uh, that they got his toe dipped in the water last year, and he looked very good uh, at the NHL level. And, you know, I, did, I do look at Boudreaux, and I think if you had a questionable coach here, you would probably say, eh, I don't know, I mean, maybe they could fall off. But Boudreaux, everywhere he's gone, it seems he gets more out of his team, at least in the regular season. Uh, the, you know, maybe in the postseason he's had those those shortcomings. But in the regular season, there's no questioning how much he got out of all of his teams in, in Washington and then Anaheim and here in Minnesota last year. It just, you know, you look at those numbers and you see all the guys with the career highs at, at later ages. And then also the, the Zach Parisi factor too, that, you know, he's missed a lot of camp with a back injury and you don't know how many games he's going to play, what type of shape he's going to be in. The guy has taken so much punishment over the years that uh, he's just not the same type of producer as he used to be. And uh, if he struggles this year, then, you know, uh, like I said, I mean, there's just so, so little room for error 
with those other teams coming up. If Winnipeg's not good this time, maybe finally Paul Maurice ends up getting fired, right? <laughs> it's possible, although he just got an extension. Not that an extension means you can't get fired, but it seems like ownership is saying, hey, you at least have a year here of runway. I went through this I, uh, writing a piece about coaches on the hot seat, and I think I found either three or four last year coaches who got extensions in the offseason and then got fired. Oh, okay. Just hockey is bana- I is just crazy about this with just firing anyone and everyone who has a bad season well then it's definitely not out of the realm of of possibility let's talk about winnipeg um yeah paul maurice kevin shovel day off get their two extensions and then here we are after an off season of eh, some change steve mason comes in uh pavlik's out dmitry kulikov in chris thorburn out Mark Stewart out, Matt Hendricks in, like no no ground breaking changes, but Steve Mason's obviously the key. They move to Winnipeg and the honeymoon is clearly over once in six years. Being in the playoffs is is not good enough. Um, but the conversation starts and ends with goaltending with this team. It just has not been good enough. And they are so strong up front with their top end talent. Line A, Shifley, uh, Perot, Wheeler, Little, Ehlers, Kyle Connor, who should be a factor this year. And then I think their D is fairly underrated with Truba, Bufflin, Myers, who I expect to bounce back, Morrissey, Enstrom, Kulikov. Like, they have the horses in front of the goaltender. Can Steve Mason at least hold the fort for a year while uh, Connor Hellebuck develops further? And, and obviously he's their he's their goalie of the future and and I guess jury's out on if that's a good call or not but regardless going into this season if we're thinking short term Steve Mason is really the x-factor yeah I I thought it was a great move to get him I mean the the timing is right where the Flyers didn't play very good defense at all last year and left him out to dry a lot so he had his first down season in Philadelphia and then they kind of swoop in and scoop up a goalie that had been uh, pretty solid over a number of years since leaving Columbus uh, and then going to Philadelphia, the, the the point about their young players, I mean, this has to be one of the teams that is stocked with the most guys under the age of 25 who are just fantastically talented. I mean, Shifley just goes completely overlooked because he's playing in Winnipeg, but what an incredible deal to have him at a $6.1 million cap hit because I think he's one of the top centers in the entire NHL. And then filling around with, with these scorers, and on defense, you with uh, Truba and Morrissey, you should feel like you're you're going in the right direction. But that's where I still question them. Um, you know, with Dustin Bufflin, I mean, I've always loved you know the the big hits and of course the the offensive game, the power. But there's just something about his game that can be frustrating at times. Maybe it's just the inconsistency or whatever it might be. Uh, even though he's he's very effective. And, and Myers and Kulikov, two guys that I have some familiarity with, just don't count on them for anything. I mean, Dmitry Kulikov has been a bust and a, and a guy who's disappointed everywhere he's gone. He has basically one halfway decent year in Florida, and that's about it. Goes to Buffalo, and it's everybody else's fault that he wasn't good in Buffalo. So I, I don't expect anything from him in Winnipeg, and it really surprised me after how poor he was that he got 43 a million dollar cap hit. It's yeah, like, that's a lot of for, money. For what? For being a former first round pick? Is that, is that your? Is that what you're getting paid for here? And Tyler Myers, a guy who's been injured, and when he's been in, he's been inconsistent for basically the last five years. So there are some questions there. 
But when I look at the roster top to bottom, I think this is a team that could win the division. But do they have the coach to get it done, and do they have the goaltending to get it done? I certainly think they're going to score enough goals. What about Dallas? How high are you on them? Because they're sort of – they're everyone's um... – I don't want to say sleeper. Sleeper is a, a, the wrong word, but but people are very high on Dallas this year. Mind you, last year was a bit of a, a disaster for them with with a ton of injuries. I believe they're in the in the the top five for most injuries. They really suffered from that, um, and the goaltending there, similar to to Winnipeg, has has always been an issue. Um, what do you think of what they did this summer? Because they did a fair amount with Ben Bishop coming in, Mark Mathot, Martin Hansel, Alex Radulov. What do you think are the, the realistic expectations for a team like the Stars? I, mean, I, I think they've got a chance to win the division, too. I mean, that's the thing that makes the Central so tough to, to figure out, because obviously Nashville, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals, so we put them right there. And, and Winnipeg, if, they, if everything goes right, or even if everything goes right, again, for Minnesota or Chicago, I could see any one of those teams winning. And I, I put Dallas right in that conversation. Now, I am interested to see what Alexander Radulov looks like with a long-term contract this year because he was possessed last year. I thought he was phenomenal. Just just this powerhouse winger who can make plays and score goals and play at both ends of the ice. I mean, he brought a lot to Montreal, and he's really going to bring exactly what Dallas has been missing over the last few years, which is some power, some, some physical play beyond just the Jamie Benton who's trying to do it all out there. So giving some support, and uh, I think kind of an under-the-radar move was picking up Martin Hansel, who uh, is a very solid third- or fourth-line center who can give you 30 to 40 even-strength points. Uh, He spent his whole career kind of just moseying around in Arizona, a team that just didn't win a whole lot when he was there. But uh, I think an overall very good player. So they've improved their forward depth, and so it's not just – Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, who are being relied upon, and then and then help the defense and, and goaltending as well. I, th- I think what this might come down to is, you know, Ben Bishop had a very poor season last year with Tampa Bay, and he's had lots of injuries throughout his career, especially like in the playoffs for back-to-back years there he had injuries. So is he going to be the goaltender that he was, you know, two years ago where he was excellent, or is he going to be the guy that he was last year who is uh, very mediocre. And, man, if he's mediocre, then, boy, Dallas has got to be throwing up their hands just what do we need to do Uh, because Ken Hitchcock is going to add another layer of intrigue here. Hitchcock seems to always be a guy that when he shows up at a place, they turn things around really quick and become a contender. So is that going to be the the case with with Dallas here? I I have high expectations for that team. Yeah, with Bishop – like like the signing short term because let's face it, with Niemi and Letton in the last few years, something had to change. But that contract's pretty ugly, especially when you factor in injuries. And he's a really big dude, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if the injuries, uh, you know, nagged him along here. Um, but yeah, you can't underestimate Ken Hitchcock coming in. You know, does the playing style change? They they could use probably a bit of a, a more structure defensively, although you want the Sagans, Radulovs, Benz to to kind of uh, freewheel. Um, do you see you know any sort of big jump from a guy like Fax, Faxa up front? Um, Devin Shore looked pretty good as a rookie. You know, do both those guys become top six guys, or do they do they end up in the third line, fourth line, uh, long term? So Dallas is a super interesting team. Um, 
I, I'm fairly high on them. I think I think actually I did a podcast with with Michael Tracos where we just we were going through a variety of topics and we got to the Stanley Cup final and I went through all the scenarios and there's something about the Stars team that I think that they have the potential to get there. Um, I think they're a serious horse in in the West, um, but there's a team called the Nashville Predators who. I think we'll uh, we'll definitely be standing in their way in the central um, as we round out the central with a, uh, just Nashville and St. Louis here. What do you think of the Nashville Predators coming off a Stanley Cup finalist performance? Uh, Ryan Ellis out for the first half of the season that really hurts. But other than that, what are your thoughts? Uh, I I mean I think they've got a great chance to be right back there this year. I mean. Uh, Small things with them for changes, uh, but you know, bringing in Nick Benino at a fairly reasonable cap hit on a long deal, but uh, to replace Mike Fisher, um, I, I think they needed that. They needed a, a number three center there, and they've they've got the star power in uh, Johansson and, and Forsberg. Um, but but even the little add of like Scott Hartnell, who is not by any means the powerhouse that he once was, but he can still put the puck in the net, especially on the power play. And, you know, they, they needed a, a few more guys like that, and they have some up-and-coming talent, too. Um, you know, the addition of uh, Alexi Emelin, I think, was a very good one. Uh, just to give them a little more depth, even though they already had very good depth uh, along the blue line. But to me, it's it's a case of the, the star power here. It's just that they have top, top-end stars. Philip Forsberg, I think, finally got some credit for how good he is. And the, the defense, Yossi and Subban, now that that Subban and Ekholm uh, pair is just a it's just a perfect fit with one guy who's got length and is defensively skilled, and then Subban who's extremely aggressive. Their coaching is top notch. So I mean, this is a team that you immediately put in there as a Stanley Cup contender. And I think even last year, when you looked at the numbers versus their standing points, they didn't really match up, right? Like a lot of the, the their statistics how often they controlled the puck and their goal differentials and things like that, you thought, well, this should be a Stanley Cup contender, and that's how it ended up playing out. So I wouldn't be surprised if it does again. Pekka Rene is always going to be a bit of a question, though, right? I mean, 34 years old, he was uh, impressive in the playoffs, but you know, what, what do you get out of him on a year-to-year basis? He's had some inconsistency throughout his career. So if he is uh, you know, on his game, there's no reason why Nashville can't win the division. But then there's also scenarios where you could see them sliding back a, a bit because this division is just so tough. Yeah, also, I like that UC Saros is in their system. Um, so if Rene does falter, we at least get to see what this guy's made of because he's looked pretty good. Um, hasn't had mm-hmm. a ton of opportunities. He's still super young. So we'll see what happens there. Um, I, th- I thought Nashville kind of broke even this summer. Uh, Nick Bedino in, Scott Hartnell in, two good signings. Bedino, I mean, it, like... <laughs> He's a good second-line center on this team. Is he a good second-line center on a team with, with more depth up front? I don't know. Um, Alex Emelin, kind of a weird signing. Uh, and then out the door, they had James Neal, Vern Fiddler retired, Mike Fisher retired, P.A. Parenteau left for free agency. So I felt like you know they're entering the season fairly similar. Uh, obviously, they still rely on their top-end talent with the forwards, Johansson, Arvidsson, Forsberg, Fiala, that group. Um, so, I mean, it worked for them last year and they were better than, than the team that they were in the regular season. I think a lot of people, uh, going into the playoffs were higher on, on them than the record suggested. So, um, 
I don't expect much much different from them this year. I think they're going to be one of the West powerhouses. Yeah, you'll pro- what you'll probably get is some regular season struggles, and then people will wonder, you know, are, are they as good as they were last year? And then you'll look back and see that, uh, you know, they didn't have the greatest regular season of all time. And then when it comes playoff time, they are a serious contender. But, you know, trying to figure out each one of these teams has both very high-end talent but also reasons to believe that they might fall off. I mean, it goes for almost every team that we're talking about here from Chicago to Minnesota, Winnipeg. I mean, they all have a reason that you could come up with to see them sliding back a bit. But with Nashville, to me, that might be the hardest one to see having trouble uh, just because I, I think they have built a pretty deep roster. And especially even the, even with Ellis out, that defense is, is so good. Yeah. I feel like they're just going to, even even if there are injuries or struggles, they're going to keep you in games. With St. Louis, the last team in the Central uh, that we haven't touched on, they went on quite the run with Mike Yo at the end of the season. Um, they picked up Braden Shen in the in the summer. I thought that was a pretty good trade um, yeah, for Yari Laterra. Uh, if he's there with Tarasenko and Schwartz, I think that's a solid number one line. I'm looking for Robbie Fabry to break out. He's he's currently injured, so that's unfortunate to start the season. Um, but then there's question marks around guys like Alex Steen, Jay Bomeister, who's starting on the IR. Like these guys are are on their way out uh, in terms of being impact players in this league. Um, St. Louis is is so close to being lovable, but but I just I can't I can never come around and and really like them. There's something about them where if they say if they didn't have Tarasenko, I would just think they're you know, or, or Petra, Petrangelo or Jake Allen. Like they have, they have some high end guys like we've, we've discussed with other teams, but I think they don't have as many as say a Nashville or a Chicago. Um, so that's why I have trouble getting too excited about them. But at the same time, I really, really would be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. They're, they're always the, the regular season team. And then they convince us that we should believe that they're going to make the Stanley cup final. And then it, just come short year after year. And I think where that can be traced to is maybe the same problem the Minnesota Wild have. You mentioned it, that who's the guy that's just always going to be so good you don't lose that night? I mean, with Chicago, we know who it is. They've got a couple of them. And um, Marion Hosa will throw him in there for their, you know, historically where they were, that they, they had players who are not just high talent, but some of the elite of the elite in the NHL. And when you have Patrick Kane, he can win a series all on his own, right? He'll just take over. And I don't know that that these two teams, St. Louis and Minnesota, that they have that player. So they're good enough because they have deep forward groups and good enough goaltending and good enough defense to make the playoffs. But can they really be anything more than that? I mean, Paul Stastny is not your true dominant number one center. And I, I'm with you, though. I mean, I like Braden Shen a lot, Jaden Schwartz, uh, getting Sabatka, uh, back it was a big deal for them last year in the playoff series against Minnesota. So you say, well, they've got all these really good players, then they've got the 40-goal score, but who's the who's the dominant two-way center, like a Kopitar or something that can just take over a series or shut down the opponent's top players? And I, I don't know that they quite have that guy. And even though I like Petrangelo, I, I'm not sure that he is quite of the caliber of the defenseman like a Duncan Keith or P.K. Subban who can offensively take over a series himself. And so if you're asking me, do they make the playoffs? 
well, I guess, you know, if they're healthy, then probably they're one of those teams that, that does. But you could see them getting overtaken if they have any injuries because they don't have that guy to carry them. And it's really hard to see them as a legit Stanley Cup contender. So if we look back on the Central and our discussion, obviously we're in agreement that Colorado's uh, the bottom feeder there. That's easy. So that's the seventh, uh, the seventh place team. And then you think Minnesota would probably slot into sixth, where I think Chicago would probably slot in there. And then I think we're in agreement uh, with the top five. Obviously, they would be ordered differently. But do you think five teams are from the Central are going to make the playoffs versus three in the Pacific? Yeah, yeah, I really do. Uh, I mean, they're beating up on each other, so that's what makes it a little bit tough uh, to gain that many points. But uh, I, I just think the talent is so much heavier in the Central and that there's a lot of good teams with, with great cases for the playoffs if goaltending holds up for some of the teams like Winnipeg and Dallas uh, that you, you do see five teams making it, and there's probably six that are good enough to make it, that have, that have the talent from top to bottom to do it. So that makes the Pacific really interesting and difficult to, to find out who's going to be at the top um, because you know that the Central is going to have most of the good teams in the West. Yeah, let's let's switch gears to the Pacific now. So Vancouver, Vegas, we've written them off. I think there's, there's four tiers in, in the Pacific. I think there's a top tier with three teams. I think there's a second one with two teams who are very similar. I think the third one is Arizona where – it would be, I would say, I would give them, I don't know, off the top of my head, 30% chance of making the playoffs, maybe even less. But just their their bar was so low last year that I think they're going to make very large gains. I think they're going to be a respectable NHL hockey team this year uh, in maybe the, the 23 to 25 out of 31 teams, somewhere in there at the end of the season, um, which is a huge improvement. Um, so that's why I have them ahead of Vancouver and Vegas, but also... Uh, behind LA and San Jose, who I think are two teams that, oh man, like I guess they could make the playoffs, but it's very, very easily, uh, you could make a, a strong case for them to just fall off and, and be an ordinary team uh, based on the top echelon of, of this division. Um, with Arizona, are you are you in the same boat where, you know, getting Ranta, um, their young players with Keller, Strom, Dvorak, um, you know, Stepan coming in, Jalmerson, like they've just, they've added so many pieces that they're going to be a decent team, but they're just not there yet for, for playoff talk. I think if you wanted to go out on a little bit of a limb and have a hot take, you might say that they're better than the Kings this year, but a lot of that is going to depend on their two goalies. Um, I mean, they're only spending $2 million on two goalies right now. Yeah, that's quite and amazing. a good... Good on them to move on from uh, Mike Smith, who hadn't been good in basically like four or five years. Uh, but, boy, they've really stacked up this defense. I mean, it, it's got to be one of the best in the league now, the fact that they added uh, Jarmelson. That's not to be overlooked at all. And just blindly robbing Jason Demers, yeah. I am just astonished with that trade. The, the Florida Panthers have gone from, hey, man, this uh, young, exciting Florida Panthers team should be good for a long time to what the heck is going on there, <laughs> right? And trading Demers is part of that. So now you have three really skilled offensive defensemen, one of the best shutdown defensemen in the league, and then uh, Jacob Chikrin coming up to a, a, a young defenseman there. 
and even a guy who I think is a nice little role player in, in Adam Clendenning. So I really love what they have there. And now it's uh, kind of up to whether some of those young players step up on the forward group. But you could see it, though, right? I mean, you could see Perlini taking a step forward and scoring more, or Dylan Strom, who they've let do in the uh, in juniors there, if if he came and made a pretty fast impact as as a lot of young players do in the league now, or Max Domi bouncing back. I mean, you could see this scenario playing out where Derek Stepan has a good year and they're really competitive. You could also see it. I mean, I might just go out on that limb to say the Kings just fall off and and don't make the playoffs again because they have just nothing surrounding Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar at this point and Jeff Carter. Okay, so maybe you're you're uh, lower on the Kings than me and higher on, on the Coyotes than me. But in the end, uh, I have three teams at the top, Anaheim, Edmonton, Calgary, and then this sort of middle area where I think the Sharks and the Kings are in a similar situation where uh, they, they, they went through great winning years. Obviously, the Kings got their cups, so it's more justifiable there. But some of the contracts on these teams are... Are really they're they're even hard to look at. I'm not even a fan of the Kings, but you look at you know the D- Dustin Brown contract is is terrible. Marion Gabrick's locked up for way too long. Um, you go up and down the list. Even Trevor Lewis um, for three more years. Kyle Clifford for three more years. Like these players are fine, but do you need them for those uh, for that amount of time? Um, and you just go through through the Kings roster, and there's just a bunch of question marks. Um, they've played this. This game under Daryl Sutter uh, of of getting getting as many pucks on net as possible, uh, also suppressing shots uh, the other way. So so something was working there, but they just weren't scoring goals. Uh, now John Stevens, who was working under Daryl Sutter, is taking over. Let's see what that what that turns into. But they've sort of been built to be uh, a big body. Uh, you know, crash and bang sort of team. So you can't necessarily change that overnight, at least in my opinion. So they're they're a team to watch for a number of reasons. And, you know, Anze Kopitar is obviously going to bounce back. He had, by his standards, a terrible year uh, in 2016-17. So, you know, Jeff Carter just keeps scoring a ton of goals. Like, there's guys to watch. Jake Muzzin's fun. Drew Doughty. Alec Martinez. Like, I like some of their players, but... Uh, when you look across the Pacific, you go, they're just, they're just not, they're just not at the top of the heap now. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about how a team like St. Louis doesn't have the superstars to just take over a series and carry them. Well, the Kings have those superstars, but just nothing else around them. And I think there was even an interview where Drew Doughty kind of, you know, made mention of his contract situation and at some point leaving and not feeling like he had to be loyal to the Kings or wanting to go somewhere or, or play wherever it was going to be competitive. And that kind of insinuates that he doesn't think the Kings are going to be that competitive. I mean, the, the, the depth of these rosters, it, it's kind of the price you pay for being really good for of course. teams, right? For the Sharks too. The price you pay is that, you know, players who are good, who helped you get there, are going to be the guys who uh, are come demanding money, and you either have to pay them or let them go. And uh, if someone's really good, you've got to pay them a lot. And so, I mean, it's just a, a tough situation for those teams who have been good for a really long time. But I, I have a really tough time seeing uh, th- them being legitimately competitive. I mean, it's possible with great goaltending from Jonathan Quick, and, and that would go uh, – 
for both teams, for the Sharks too. With with really good goaltending, they've got enough star power to keep them in it. But um, I think there's a lot of deeper teams in the West that I would rank quite a bit above them. And I, I could see both the Sharks and Kings missing the playoffs for the first time in a long time that, that both teams wouldn't be in it. Yeah, let's let's talk about, uh, since we're in agreement over the, the Sharks and the Kings uh, going down a similar path, uh, let's, let's move on to Calgary. Uh, how high are you on this team? Because, ooh, they, they picked up Travis Hominick. Uh, Mike Smith, I don't know. I don't. I don't know about that that pickup. But what else were they gonna do? Um, they've been building towards something special though for a few years, and now you could argue that they have the best defense core aside from from Nashville in the league with Hamilton, Giordano, Hominick, and Brody as your top four. I mean, there's no there's no holes to poke there. Um, and then you just play the third pair. What ten minutes a night? Um, and they have, they have, and then up front they have a good mix of firepower and two-way guys: Goudreau, Monahan, Backlund, Kachuk. Uh, as most teams we've discussed, they could use some depth up front. Um, but I guess the goaltending, uh, similar to Winnipeg, uh, is is sort of an issue. Um, but Mike Smith, I don't know. He he played in Arizona. That that's a tough place to put up good numbers. So does does Calgary's system with having uh, four real studs? Four guys that could maybe be a number one guy on other teams could could those four guys being out for fifty minutes a night help him be a league average goalie? It's very possible. Yeah, it's it's always extremely hard to predict which direction they're going to go because sometimes there are teams that you think would be good defensively or even teams that control the puck and then they end up with bad goaltending and it sinks their season. No one can really figure out why, um, but they certainly have the defensemen to compete for a Stanley Cup, and they've got some of the young talent to do that too if those young players take a step forward, if Chuck does, if uh, Sam Bennett does, and, uh, you know, Sean Monaghan just continues to be as good as he's been. I mean, they, they have, I think, a legitimate group to go in, not only make the playoffs, but be really a serious contender if they get the goaltending. I mean, Mike Smith is 35, and Eddie Lack has been just abominable over the last few years in in Carolina, and that, and that's where it is for me. I mean, that was the big question for them last year. I thought they had a good five-on-five team overall, and they they didn't get the goaltending um, really, especially from the beginning of the season, and then had to play catch up from there. But when it comes to, I mean, they're very much like Nashville in the way that their roster is built, with some very high-end scores at the top and then uh, just an incredible group of defensemen. The fact that they were able to add Travis Hamanick and Dougie Hamilton through trades is really like, you usually just don't yeah. see great defensemen getting traded, right? And, and these two guys, the Dougie Hamilton trade will always be one of the most head-scratching deals. Because I don't know, what was it? He didn't get along in the locker room well enough or whatever it might have been. Well, last year, you go down his numbers, and he's got a case for being... Uh, it, it, you know, in the Norris Trophy conversation, he was so good last year. I mean, maybe not quite to that Victor Hedman level or, or whatever, but um, he was he was up there as one of the best defensemen in the league last year, and that doesn't surprise anyone who saw him in his early days from Boston. But I think Calgary's done a great job of building a competitive roster. It's just those two goalies, man. I I don't know how you could trust either one of them. Let's go to uh, Anaheim next. So. For people uh, keeping score at home, the the three teams at the top would be Edmonton, Calgary, Anaheim, 
And I think Anaheim, I don't think it's a, an, I don't think it's a debate that they're, they have, you know, the, the most veteran roster, the most, uh, I guess, playoff tested roster. Um, but in a way that can be a bad thing. Um, you know, the Perry, Getzlaff, Kessler trio is all 32 or older. Um, but I, you know, I was looking at it today. I was looking at the roster and they actually have done a very good job of, of bringing along youngsters through their system where they can sort of roll into a new, a new chapter in their, their franchise. When these guys, you know, right off into the sunset, they have Ricard Raquel, Jacob Silverborg, Silverberg, Hampus Lindholm, Josh Manson, Sammy Vadnan, Cam Fowler. All these guys are 26 and under. So I hadn't realized, I hadn't wrapped my head around their sort of on-the-fly rebuild, if, if you even want to call it that, retooling um, that they've been able to do. And um, I guess that's more about the future. But in the here and now, um, you know, they've won five straight divisional titles. Do they finally get it done in the playoffs? That's always the question with this team, uh, similar to San Jose. Um what, what do you think of Anaheim? Because, you know, it's a Randy Carlisle coach team who uh, I think surprised some people last year. Yeah, I, I think the where, what it might come down to is Ryan Getzlaff was just wonderful last year. I mean, he was he was fantastic. So is he still going to be as good as he was last year, especially in the playoffs? He was one of the playoffs' best players, completely dominant, and he has been for such a long time, but... He and Ryan Kessler, I mean, these are guys who have played physical for a very long time. Did they start to slip a little bit? Kessler had a great season last year. I love. I, I really love some of the younger talent that they have. I think Jacob uh, or Jakob, is it Jacob? Does it go by Jacob or Jakob? I think it's Jakob, but I'd always stumble on it okay. too. Yeah, well, you know, you hear broadcasts and everybody calls it something different. So anyway, uh, Silverberg, I think, is one of the more underappreciated, really good wingers in the league. It's just uh, hard on his stick, and he can score, and he can play at both ends, and, and he kind of does it all. He's been their underrated player for a, a little while now. So I, I like the talent that they have, and another team with an excellent uh, blue line. They got a lot out of uh, Josh Manson at 825000 just looking at their salaries from last year. Uh, he was playing top-line minutes for them. Uh, I mean, I like from top to bottom the goaltending to this team as a division winner. It's just, I mean, it, Kessler and Getzlaff and Perry, anytime you go into a season relying on three guys who are 32, 33 years old, you wonder if they're going to drift back at some point because it happens to everybody. I mean, the age curve is what it is for a reason, that everybody hits a wall and starts to – to slide downward and can't play at the same level that they once did. And just trying to predict when that's going to happen is very difficult. The guy that I would keep an eye on just because he's been dinged up is is Ryan Kessler, if he's going to be able to be that two-way dominant force. Because I think, uh, you know, that that he's really been a difference maker for them since signing from Vancouver. Well, and he's out till uh, till December, and Lindholm's out till November. So is Vatten. And so injuries have already uh, hit their dressing room. So you... You wonder if that's going to derail their season uh, in these first two months, but I'm I'm pretty pretty high on Anaheim. I, I really like their team. They're obviously built to win now, but they also, as I mentioned, have this infusion of of early twenties, mid twenty guys who are either in their prime or or you know just exiting their prime. Um, and then Gibson is their number one goalie who keeps getting better. They picked up Ryan Miller as insurance, which 
you know, you can say what you want about Ryan Miller and his current state as, as a goalie compared to five, ten years ago, but he's better than a lot of backups out there. I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, he's been basically a league average goalie since going to Vancouver, which if you've got a league average goalie as your backup, you feel pretty darn good about that. Um, I, I mean, yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't contest at all that if everything goes right for them, if they could survive the injuries that you mentioned, um, if we're talking about a team that is in the Stanley Cup final, that, that wouldn't surprise me. It's just, it, it's one of those like, well, what could go wrong? Because they have all the pieces to be there. And that's the only thing that I could see that could go wrong. But, you know, maybe for somebody like Kessler, it's actually a good thing that he's out because he has to play so tough minutes when it comes to playoff time that he's not going to quite have the miles on his body once they finally get there. And as a final team in the Pacific, final team in the whole Western Conference, the Connor McDavid's, based out of Edmonton. <laughs> the uh, the Oilers, I mean, I don't think there's anyone, you know, any pundits, any fans that, that would count out a team with McDavid in regards to the playoffs. And there's a lot of people who are, uh, who are projecting them to possibly make the cup final. Is this the, the year that they break through as, as a group? Um, you know, a lot of people forget that Ryan Nugent Hopkins has been around for a while. Uh, you know, they, they've had they've had their they've had their tough times, but now they have uh, you know Oscar Clefbaum on the back end, Adam Larson. You can say what you want about Chris Russell, but he's more than capable of being an NHL defenseman. Darnell Nurse, like their defense compared to even three years ago, is is leaps and bounds better. And then Milan Lucic, as much as he gets hammered for his contract, is still a quality NHL player. Leon Dreisaitl, I think everyone's in agreement that his ceiling is, is much higher than, than what he's done so far. And what he's done so far has been very good. Ryan Strom was a good pickup. So you go up and down and you see Talbot and Ned and you you start kind of licking your chops and going, wow, they, they could do some serious damage in the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would pick them right now to win the Pacific. I'm really interested if Ryan Strom can kind of get back to being what he appeared to be uh, early in his career there with the Islanders. I mean, was he going to be kind of a, a, a scoring producer and a solid, like, second-line winger? But then he fell off and ended up back in the minors at one point. And, I mean, it's just been kind of a, a rough road for him. So they're going to be without Eberly and they bring in Strom, which is just flawed player for flawed player. I did like the addition of UC Jokinen because I think he could uh, still yeah. play, and I'm 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 really interested to see where Jesse Poliarvi might fit into this um, because he seems like a guy as, as a top pick that if it works out he could have a major impact, and I remember that uh, being quite the boon for them to get Jesse Poliarvi uh, in that draft a couple of years ago, and finally just with the goaltending. I mean, for a long time it was just who's Edmonton's goalie and. And how how low can they possibly rank again, you know, year after year? And Talbot seems to have solidified that position. So I, I look at them with the best player in the game or number 1A. I mean, I, I see everybody putting out their rankings, and, you know, some have McDavid over Crosby, some have Crosby over McDavid. I mean, right now I, I would put them, since Crosby just won the Stanley Cup and I think had an incredible playoff performance, I, I'm not ready to say that just quite yet. Uh, to put McDavid is better than Sidney Crosby, but you have the premier player in the NHL. And what we've seen from those caliber of guys, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Mario Lemieux, uh, Mario Lemieux Wayne Gretzky, 
I mean, I think he's going to be in that conversation, and they always win, right? I mean, they they always get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, I I think that they've got a really good shot to get there this year. I, I don't think that Edmonton has been managed beautifully or anything, <laughs> but I think that they've put enough around uh, Connor McDavid to give him a great chance. And, and I would expect that, I mean, it seems possible, as, as crazy as it sounds, for McDavid to have even a better year this year than he had last year. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? The guy, as a 20-year-old, wins uh, Art Ross, wins, wins a Hart Trophy, puts up 100 points, and it seems like he wasn't even trying. That's the thing about McDavid, just so effortless. He's just cruising down the ice like it's uh, no big deal, like it's men's league or something. Yeah, and historically, these players in their age, you know, 20 to 23, 24 season have uh, continued to go up and up. If you look at Ovechkin or Crosby uh, or Lemieux or Gretzky or any, any of the, the all-time great players, they've, they've had early success, like super right away, just being great. But then as they started to mature even more physically, they've taken it to even another level. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Connor McDavid. If if he had 120 points, if that's where he finished this year, I wouldn't be stunned. So if we break down the Western Conference uh, as sort of a final topic here, who are your, your top three? You know, forget divisions. Um, and I'll give you my top three uh, just so you know what I mean. I think Nashville, Edmonton, and Dallas are going to be – the uh, powerhouses, juggernauts, whatever you want to call it, the 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 cut above the rest uh, in the Western Conference. Do you have three or two or four that you think are are sort of above the rest? Yeah, I think we're on the same page for Nashville and Edmonton, but then it gets it just gets tougher for me from there. And and you know, I, I guess I do lean toward Dallas making a, some some big noise. I, I still want to say that. Winnipeg could really surprise people because they have a, a great roster there. And Anaheim, even if they're dinged up and, and they're without a couple of players, that they still should be competitive. But, I mean, for me, it's kind of the kind of more of a top two. And then let's see from the rest of you where this really plays out. And, you know, I mean, the, the top two are those teams that were kind of there at the end last year in the playoffs. But I, I think that they deserve that from the type of rosters that they bring in. But I think all the other teams, you could kind of make a case and you could see it going one way or the other. But I definitely expect uh, those two to be kind of at the top. I, I, I hope I'm not copping out there. No, no, not at all. Um, how, how can people find your work? Because I think uh, we'll wrap up here and give you a little plug. Uh, I guess Twitter, since you're, you're putting out content for different uh, publications, Twitter might be the best spot. Yeah, uh, at Matthew Collar, C-O-L-L-E-R is how you uh, you spell that. So that's uh, that's my Twitter. Also, just uh, if you're an ESPN insider, I have a bunch of uh, NHL preview stuff coming down. I'm looking right now at the league's worst contracts for an Ooh. article I'm doing. So, uh, yeah, or at least the, the guys who are going to be most overpaid versus their expected production this year. So um, maybe some surprising names on that list. But, uh, yeah, a bunch of different things throughout the hockey season. We're big fans for uh, ESPN Insider. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you back on the show, and uh, I expect to reunite very soon, in, in a month's time or so. Okay, all right. Well, we'll check back on how wrong we were, as usual. <laughs> exactly. Thanks a lot, Matt. All right, thanks. Thanks.